0: To see you on this Memorial uh, weekend. I'm glad that so many of you are here in town and here in worship. We've already noted it is Memorial weekend and uh, we've recognized our veterans and other military personnel for their service to our country. And we want to remember that Memorial Day is set aside to remember the sacrifices uh, that were made uh, by our nation's great veterans uh, as they gave their life on battlefields both abroad and here at home. Uh, from the research that I did, I found that I think about 1.3 million Americans have given their life on, on the battlefields here and abroad for the cause uh, of freedom. Uh, on battlefields like Bunker Hill and others of the American Revolution, uh, to the Battle of New Orleans, from the halls of Montezuma uh, to uh, the uh, San Juan Hill, from the trenches of World War I to the beaches of Normandy and the fields of Europe and the jungles of, of the islands of Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, and so many more of World War II. Uh, from the Mekong Delta of Vietnam to the smaller battles of Grenada and P- Panama and other numerous military insurgencies, from the sand dunes of Kuwait and Iraq, a desert storm, from Kosovo, Somalia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, from the mountains of Afghanistan, and again from the sands of Iraq. Americans have paid and will continue to pay the price for our freedom and our safety. So I would encourage you on this Memorial Weekend, Thank a vet for what they have done. It's an amazing thing what they do in terms of military service and defense of our country. Also, May is our Mil- Na- National Military Appreciation Month as we celebrate our military and the role that they have played in the heritage of our great nation and preserving our American freedom that no other nation enjoys like we do. It's also interesting at the same time, Fort Jackson is celebrating their 101 birthday. And they're going to do so in grand style on June 2nd. It looks like a good day when I look at the, all the things that they have planned. I think they're going to open about 4 o'clock. There's going to be games. They'll have food trucks and beverage trucks. And um, then that night there's going to be a concert by Rodney Atkins and then by Sarah Evans. And then around 9.30 there will be a fireworks show. And all that's on June 2nd. It looks like it's going to be a good day. I know they do great work with the fireworks. I love a great fireworks display. And one, one July 4th, we had family in from Kentucky, and we went over there, enjoyed the fantastic display uh, of the fireworks, but getting out was something else. I think it was about three hours it took us to get out of there. I was beginning to think I was going to have to sign up and stay in one of the barracks that night. But uh, if you go, watch where you park, I guess, so you can make sure you get out. But let me remind you again on this Memorial Weekend. million Americans have given their lives in defense of this country and the freedom that we enjoy. But now let's switch gears. I want to share with you another figure that pales in comparison to that number. And that's the number of men and women and boys and girls who have given their lives for the eternal cause of freedom around the world. According to the Journal of American Academy of Religion, uh, and since the 20th century, um, they have reported over 45 million Christians have been martyred for the cause of Christ. And they call defending Christian martyrs believing in Christ, those who have lost their lives prematurely in situations of witness as a result of human hostility. 45 million have given their lives because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and their belief in that eternal freedom and that it's worth dying for. No telling how many others, only God would know, have shed their blood for the cause of Christ over the last 2,000 years. And so I think it's fitting this morning as we honor those who have given their lives for the defense of our freedom that we enjoy in this land. That we also think about the great sacrifice that's been made for the ultimate cause of freedom by so many. And especially the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ that makes this all possible, this eternal freedom. Because the Bible teaches us that if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And so we worship today in freedom both in this land in a political sense and also as people who are set free. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are free. You're experiencing that eternal freedom. I want you to look with me in the passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. It describes this. Because the Apostle Paul wants us to go back to the cross, look at that cross, and remember the cross, and remember the significance of it for celebrating our spiritual freedom, that eternal freedom that we have. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 15. And here we find the Apostle Paul writing to these believers in the church in Colossia, and this is what he says about Jesus and the cross. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature... Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code. With its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love those words. They're powerful words because they remind us from the writing of the Apostle Paul that Jesus Christ on the cross, as we remember that, we remember that Christ gives us eternal freedom. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we would have eternal freedom. And there's a great affirmation of his life everywhere we turn. Born in Bethlehem of Mary and Joseph, a peasant couple in Judea. And then he grew up as God ordained that he would. And then obediently and willingly he went to the cross in obedience to God the Father's plan. And there he died as the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. And as a result of that, as we believe in that Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, then we are forgiven of our sins and we live in relationship with him. I'm told that Encyclopedia Britannica uses over 20,000 words in describing Jesus and his ministry. That's more space that's given to any other single individual who has impacted this world. Aristotle, Cicero, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Buddha, Confucius, or Mohammed. All of whom who lived, worked, and left their mark on history. But none of them left the mark that Jesus left. Because the mark that he left is our hinge pin of history. Because on that determines our eternal destiny and our eternal freedom as we believe and trust in him. When Jesus ascended and left, went back into, into the glories of heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, he left us the church, those who believe in him and who committed our lives to him with two primary functions in life. One, we're supposed to love one another just as God loves us. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so that the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, if we're all believers in Jesus Christ, if we made that commitment of our life to him, we're brothers and sisters, we're we're heirs with Jesus Christ, we're part of his family, and we should love one another as he has loved us, which is a sacrificial forgiving love. Then the second thing that he has commanded us to do is that we are to make disciples of all the nations. That's our mission is to make disciples by, by proclaiming the kingdom of God and this eternal freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. So how do we effectively communicate the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Christ? How do we do that effectively so that people will respond to that message and so that they, too, will come to experience that uh, forever freedom in Jesus Christ. Well, I think we have to, have to be immersed in Jesus Christ to be able to do that. We have to experience Jesus deeply to be able to do that. I want to make an analogy for, by reading about Joseph Turner, who was an English painter. Uh, and he painted one picture in particular of a storm at sea that was so realistic. When you stand and you observe that painting, you can almost feel the wind in your face and the spray of the salt water on your face. When he was asked how he was able to capture the essence of that storm and the intensity of that storm, this is what he said. He said, I went to the coast of Holland and hired a fisherman to take me out to sea in the next storm. Entering his boat as a storm was brewing, I asked him to bind me to the mast. And then he steered his boat into the teeth of the storm. Turner said, the storm raged with such fury that at times I longed to be in the bottom of the boat. Not only did I see the storm in its raging fury, I felt it. It blew into me, as it were, until I became a part of it. Then when the storm was excited, I, I returned to my studio And I painted this picture. So how do we show someone that Jesus Christ is real? The same way that Joseph Turner painted this picture in the storm. We have to experience Jesus. We have to have that relationship with him. The relationship where we acknowledge our sin. Confess our sin to Jesus Christ. Repent of that sin. And and embrace Jesus Christ who, who died to give us eternal freedom. And when we do that. And on weekends like this especially we'll be, we'll be moved to remember the cross. And when we come back and we, we unpeel what, what, what uh, Paul has written here, the Apostle Paul in, in the letter that we know as Colossians, we find that there are four things that he talks about about the cross that we should remember as we celebrate our ultimate freedom. First of all at the cross our lives were transformed. In the nine o'clock service our a men's gospel group, God's Men, saying he made a change in me and talked about the fact that, that God made a change when he, he encountered them. He talked about he made a change in the way he walks and the way they talk. See, that's what happens to us when we encounter Jesus Christ. When we commit our life to him, we are transformed. And Paul says that's all possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's where we're transformed. And he uses two analogies. He uses circumcision in baptism. In verse 11 he says, In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you came to Christ, you were transformed. And God had to cut away that sinful nature. That's his reference to circumcision. And Christ is the one who does that. Then the second analogy he uses is baptism. Verse 12 he says, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now there is no salvation in that process of baptism. That doesn't save you. You are baptized by immersion to be a follower of Jesus Christ because you have experienced salvation. You come to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and you follow him in what we call believer's baptism. But this is an analogy that Paul is making, that we've been transformed. And he uses baptism here as the analogy, that we're baptized into Christ. When we're baptized, we're taken under the water. It represents our dying to self and to sin. When we're brought out of the water, it represents the fact that we are a new person and we're to walk in newness of life. That's what he says in Romans 6, 4. He says, therefore, we are buried with them by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You see, if we are transformed, then we walk in newness of life. Baptism portrays for us what happens spiritually when we are transformed by Christ. We are literally transformed from death into life. And we walk in that new spiritual freedom. So he says, first of all, remember at the cross how your life was transformed as you believed in Jesus Christ. And the second thing he says to remember is in verse 13, and that is at the cross we were saved. In verse 13 he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now here's the reality. Unless you've acknowledged your sin, repented of your sin, and embraced Jesus Christ as Savior of your life, you are spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. You are spiritually dead. You are dead in your sins. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the result of sin brings about spiritual death. And before we came to know Christ, we were all dead in our sins. But when we come to experience Christ, we are made alive in him. He saves us from that spiritual death. When we were lost in sin, we were spiritually dead. We were headed for hell. But in the mercy and grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus saved us from our sins. That's something we need to remember every time. We think about the cross to see any kind of representation of the cross. We need to to remind ourselves of the power of the cross, that it transforms our life. And on that cross is where we were saved. And what does it mean to us when we are saved? It means that our sins are forgiven. It means that we're a child of God. It means that we're delivered from the power, from the penalty, and eventually in heaven, the presence of sin. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We experience abundant life here. We have the promise of eternal life when we die and leave this world that our life just transitions from here to the glories of heaven. But most importantly, all that is made possible because we live in a wonderful, wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul wants us to remember the cross and he says that all of that is made possible in Jesus' death on the cross because before that you were separated from God but in him as you have faith in him you are brought into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven and you are made alive by Jesus Christ. Then the third thing he says is at the cross we need to remember that our debt was paid. Verse 14 says, having counseled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now what Paul has in mind when he uses that illustration is that in that day and time when a man was guilty of a crime and was sent to prison, he would be in a prison cell and outside the door of his prison cell would be some kind of sign that would have written on there the sin, crime for which he was guilty and the length of his sentence, how many years and months and weeks and days it is that he had to serve to pay for it. And then once he had served that time and he was set free, he was given that sign that was over his prison door and he would take it to a judge and the judge would notarize it and he would write on there that it's been canceled, The debt was paid in full. And then that person could carry that with him And when anybody would bring up that past crime and want to accuse him of it, he could say, no, I have paid for that. My debt has been paid. I have paid for that. Well, in telling that, making that analogy, what Paul is saying to us is that before Christ was in our life and we were dead, that we had built up a sin debt to God. And there was no way that you or I could pay that debt that sin had created. So God paid it. He sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He canceled out our certificate of debt. And Paul says he did so by nailing it to the cross. And in that process, he forgives us all of our sins. You see, you think about all the debt that you've incurred. You might have a house payment. You might have two mortgages on your house. You've got two car payments, student loan payments, whatever it is out there, credit cards maxed to the wazoo. And you wake up one morning and you find that all of your debt has been canceled. That's the way it is with the sin debt in our life. There was no way we could pay it, no way out of it. But Jesus went to the cross and he nailed our sin debt to the cross. And it's forgiven. We just have to believe and accept in that. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's good news, and it's possible because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who went to the cross to satisfy a perfect God and the righteousness of God. You see, we had to be righteous to have a relationship with God, and the only way we can be righteous in the sight of God is through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you need to ponder long and deep on that verse. That the perfect Jesus Christ, sinless in every way, perfect in every way, without any blot upon his life, went to the cross and literally became sin on your behalf and mine and died in our place so that we could be made righteous in the sight of God. So when God looks upon us now as believers in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our mistakes. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's all possible because Jesus paid our sin debt. Now, as we continue to live in this world, what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing it means is that there's no more condemnation for us. See, back in that day when the man was let out of prison and 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 the note was marked paid in full and been notarized, he could carry that with him and nobody could accuse him justifiably, of that crime. Well, Paul writes in Romans 8, 1 and says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can rightfully condemn you for your sin because they've been given to the, forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. No one can rightfully accuse us. Paul has that in mind when he writes in Romans 8, 33 through 34. And he says who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Is said what that means is if somebody tries to condemn us Jesus is seated there at the right hand of God the Father and he says Father, through my righteousness, you look at that person, and you know I died for him, I died for her. They believe in me, and there's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more accusation because your sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid. We experience eternal freedom through Jesus Christ and because of what he did on the cross and our belief in that. And then there's a fourth thing that Paul wants us to remember at the cross. And that is that at the cross, our enemy was defeated. He says in verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now Paul had a vision. he had an image in his mind, and that would be of a, of a Roman general returning back from a battle, and he was victorious, and he would be leading a parade of people into the city. He would be riding a, a great white, beautiful horse. And then they would follow his soldiers and they would follow others in his command. And then last would come the prisoners that they had captured and defeated and they would be bound in chains and shackles and they would be made public mockery of them. Paul had that in mind when he looked at the cross as well. And there he sees not only Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, but he also sees that Satan is being defeated on the cross. If we were there on Good Friday and we watched Jesus die, we would have thought that Satan had won that day. But Satan's attempt to destroy Jesus Christ backfired on him because the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. You see, Jesus disarmed Satan through his death, burial, and resurrection. 1 John 3.8 says. The reason the son of God appeared. Was to destroy. The devil's work. See Satan still exists. And we have to endure his presence. But we don't have to succumb. To his power in our life. He only has as much power. And control in your life. As you allow him. To have Now, God allows Satan to do certain things, but they ultimately are to bring about God's perfect will in this world. But always remember this. At the cross, Satan was defeated. And ultimately, he will meet his ultimate demise at the day of judgment when he is thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. Your enemy, Satan, has been defeated and stripped of his power. And Paul wants you to remember that. So as we are who are believers in Jesus Christ on this memorial Week, and celebrate our freedom in this land, we also celebrate our eternal freedom in Jesus Christ. We look to the cross and we remember that there our lives were transformed. We remember that we were made alive in Jesus Christ. We remember our sin debt was paid and our enemy, Satan, was defeated. And so as we pause to honor those who serve our country and those who gave their lives for our cause, we should pause and reflect upon the greatest sacrifice ever made, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross, died in our place so that we could be free forever from our sin, from our guilt, from our shame, from any condemnation. And all of that is for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, and it's there for you. If you have not yet accepted him as your Savior and committed your life to him, you too can experience that wonderful freedom that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray today that you will accept that on this wonderful weekend. Father, we thank you for the depth of your love in which you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, that you were willing to to send a way that we could be forgiven of our sins and be made righteous in your sight and have a relationship with you, and that is that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He's done everything on the cross that's necessary for our salvation. Now all we have to do is to believe, trust him with our life, commit our life to him, and I pray that no one will leave here today without having committed his or her life to Jesus Christ so that they too can experience that ultimate freedom, that forever freedom, that freedom that totally sets you free no matter what circumstances of the world are around you, you can be free in Jesus Christ forever and ever. And I pray that you have experienced that and you will remember the cross or you will come today and accept this wonderful freedom made possible only through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen.